2: Welcome in to the Odson Audibles podcast. Matt Frame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. We are all on the show today. Uh, it is a Thursday, January 4th. Uh, this is our, I guess, our first podcast collectively all being on it the New Year. Happy New Year to all of you. Happy New um, Year. And it's a it's an opportunity to reflect now a couple days after that fiestable win um, of not just that particular game but just the entire 2023 football season. Um and what we saw, are kind of what our main takeaways are, we'll discuss that. But first, we're going to discuss some news that that hit late last night and then hit very early this morning as it pertains to 2024. Uh two of Oregon's better players on its roster have announced they will return to Oregon for what will be their final years of eligibility. Uh first it was Ted uh, first it was Jeffrey Bassa Oregon star linebacker. And then next it was Tez Johnson, Oregon star, one of their star receivers. And I think, guys, like this is a lot surprised, but either one of them. I know Bossa was probably a little, a little more on the fence of going pro or not, but these are two decisions that needed to happen if Oregon was going to be uh, viewed as like a top 10, top 15 team preseason next year, one that competes for the college football playoff um, going into the season. Expectations remain the same for Oregon, but it's this is, this is pretty big news for for both sides of the ball.
0: No doubt about it. And, I mean, we just saw how good Tez was in the Fiesta Bowl. We saw how good Jeff was in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Tez didn't win MVP on offense because no one was winning that other than Bo Nix and Jeff Bossa won it on defense. So these are two of the most important players on this football team to close the season and will be two of the most important players next year to start the season. And, and I think to start with Tez briefly here, um, you know, I, it, it almost gets overlooked a little bit how spectacular his season was because Troy Franklin had an even better season. Like if you run through the numbers, and I've been doing that the last couple of days on the site with putting together the, the, the leaderboards for passing and receiving stats, like Tez Johnson probably had the, if not for Troy Franklin would have had the best season, in, you know receiving season in school history this year, or like we could have had that conversation. Um, but Troy goes out and does a little bit better, um, you know, breaks records before Tez can actually break the receptions record more recently. Um, but this was a spectacular season from Tez Johnson and it gives you, and it gives Dylan Gabriel, somebody to rely upon next year. That is a all conference caliber guy, a guy who's a proven 1000 yard receiver at this level. Um, a guy who is endeared himself to the fan base, I think in short order. So I, I think this is really big for Oregon's offense. Um, I I think obviously there's still need to identify, you know, who your premier outside receivers are. I thought both Treshawn and Gary had some nice moments and you say, Hey, one of those guys could probably start at one of the spots, but you know, that X receiver, which in a lot of these offenses is the primary target. They still need to figure that part out, whether that's a guy on the roster currently, or more likely someone they have to find in the portal that's kind of a decision down the line, but this at least sets you up and you say, Hey, you've got your premier slot receiver back and somebody who can be extremely productive in 24. So I'll let Jared talk defense since that's more his side of the ball. But I think the Tez thing was, was huge and obviously really big for this offense going forward.
1: Yeah. Real quick on Tez, what it does is it provides stability to the wide receiver room. There's not a lot of question marks going into next year with where, you know, you have at least five dudes and, Tez Johnson, Sean Hall, Gary Bryan Jr., Kyler, Casper, and Jurion Dickey. You have at least five dudes that you feel somewhat comfortable with, and then you're bringing in two, or or, excuse me, three, four-star wide receivers in Dylan Gresham, Ryan Pelham, and Jeremiah McClellan. But say that three times fast. Um, Still, it's it's very nice to hear that Tez is coming back. He's going to be a huge part of the offense next year. Um, Quick on Tez again. Last six games of the season, 127.16 yards a game on 8.6 receptions a night with six total touchdowns. So um, even though he was the number two, he was producing like a number one option in this offense. So I would expect him to do exactly the same next year. Uh, for Bassa, who announced on Wednesday night, um, like five or six just in the afternoon, huge. He's a big, big player for Oregon to get back. Uh, I don't think people realize how good Jeff Bassa was this season. Um, He didn't put up like 130 tackles like some linebackers do that get those big years. He finished the season with 71, three and a half tackles for loss. Um, He was great, though. He was a wonderful tackler. He was downhill in the run game. He did incredibly better than he did last season in the run game. Um, Was much better in the pass coverage department, too. Understands the defense about as well as anybody on the team other than the coaching staff. So to have him back in the Big Ten when you're going to need a – premier linebacker to really survive in the conference Um, to get bossa back it's huge i think he could add more weight and be even better next year i think he's probably going to have to Um, he added 20 pounds this past offseason moving to the big 10 where there's some big boys there like michigan that we're all going to see in the championship game you're going to need to add even some more weight that's why you know justin jacobs a big 10 transfer from iowa came in at 6 to 240 pounds like they that's kind of the universal standard of a linebacker in the Big Ten. So um, I think he could add a couple pounds and be great. Um, but having him back and solidifying the defense, and, you know, there's there's some question marks, some big old question marks behind Justin and uh, Jeffrey Bossa this year. I mean, Devin Jackson was fine. Bryce Betcher was fine. Um, Jerry Mixon got very little uh, game appearances, and you have three true freshmen coming in. Like, if you lose Jeff, you're relying a lot on – unproven commodities like devin jackson um even though i love him to death I, there's still just a lot that he has to prove as a linebacker um so this really shares up the defense next year obviously you still need to go and add a couple interior defensive linemen in the portal maybe look on the perimeter in a cornerback unless you feel really good about one of the corners who are doing really well at the all-american games but um at linebacker that's probably your deepest position as of right now that you feel the most comfortable about um and uh, which is weird to say, you know, considering two years ago with or 2021 with all the injuries that they had and the complete lack of depth there. But here we are just two years later.
2: The Jamal Hill departure combined with a Jeffrey Bossett departure would have been pretty bad Um because you lose your number one linebacker and then you lose your number one reserve to Jared's point. Like if one of those two guys got hurt, next season like there's not a lot of depth that's proven there so getting that getting bossa back is pretty big we'd heard that you know internally oregon felt like bossa was probably a better draft pick than some mock drafts or projections have been listing him as um and so this is a big win and and landing was very complimentary of, of bossa and just his football iq the ability to get him know to get the entire defense kind of lined up he's their field general and you're going to be going into a new conference where you're playing new opponents in new venues and you needed your general on the field and that's what they're getting with bossa um i i I think they have this even if even with his return though i think they need to go find some kind of portal addition here to replace jamal hill's departure I don't know if Devin Jackson, I don't know if Betcher, I don't know if Mixon or any of the incoming guys are going to be able to replicate that, maybe. Um, but I, I think if they can find the room and it, it, it might be smart to go and replace, you know, add another portal guy, like a one-year rental guy. Um, but these are two big additions, and we're waiting on a couple more. Um, I, I think it's safe to say, like, guys like a Johnny Cornelius, um, Jordan Birch. Terrence Ferguson. Um for some reason I'm forgetting the last one on top of my head. Um
0: that could oh, make for, for that the you e listed. Yeah. Um I'm trying I actually can't think of who your fourth one was either to be honest yeah, with you. That's super weird. Um anyways, <laughs> there's still more that
2: that that could decide here. And they've got oh Justin Jacobs was the other one um we, we think he is back but he told jared what do he
1: you say he's still unsure, sure he's still figuring things out yeah he's still weighing his options which is the answer i got from everybody i asked so yes um but i would expect to hear from all these guys in the upcoming days because a january 15th is the deadline Yep. um there's like a soft deadline which is tomorrow i believe the oh. 5th and um you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Bassa announced last night and then 10 hours later, Tez Johnson announces his decision. So I'd expect to hear from most of these guys in the next 48 hours. It, would, it wouldn't surprise me
2: if, uh, if if they all come back, which I don't think is going to be the case. But if they all come back, um, it wouldn't surprise me or a majority of them come back that they kind of string this out like every 12 hours someone yeah. –
0: All right. Um, do we want to shift now into some 2023
2: talk and some just reflection on the season? I think that's a, a natural. I, yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, let's do that. I think okay. that's a great place to go. Um.
2: There's a lot to start here because like, we, we could go big picture team-wise. We could go individual. We can go one side of the football. I, I think for me, my first takeaway will be, from a big picture standpoint of I know the quality of the opponent wasn't very good in the Fiesta Bowl, but to win a New Year's sixth bowl game to win your 12th game of the season, I think this year kind of cements itself as not the greatest, not even the top third or top half of of the of the six that have won twelve or more games. Okay. But they reached an echelon that few have ever gotten before. And I think that should qualify as this, this year being one of the best seasons in college football, in in Oregon football history at the FBS level. Um, and this team should go down as one of, one of the greatest, not the greatest, not the second greatest, but this team's got a bunch of NFL talent. And the only team that they lost to was a squad that I think is going to win the national championship. And they lost by three points both times um they were right there until the very end both times and it's going to go down as a one of the better seasons in college football I think it help, helps cement Oregon kind of continuing to trend up under Dan Lanning it gives a lot of validation to Dan Lanning um and it gives a lot of validation to some of these individual guys of what they were able to accomplish during their time at Oregon
0: yeah and that kind of ties right into where I was going to go but you know just first before I get there, go quite- where I'm going. Um, kind of rem- it, it, This season reminds me so much of 2012, which I think is kind of largely seen by the fan base as maybe the most talented team Oregon has ever had, but one that, again, didn't reach its goals of winning the conference, playing for anything beyond that. Um, a team that if you go back and look at it, you're like, oh my gosh, there were so many big-time NFL players or, or big-time college players that were on it and yet they didn't end up winning the conference and yet you know they, there was just so much left on the table I think that's sort of the way I'm going to look back at this team um and but the kind of what it does tie in for me is is what Matt sort of ended his his with which is you know having watched the, t- the four teams that were playing for this you know on a on Monday shortly after Oregon won the Fiesta Bowl and kind of to Matt's point, seeing how close Oregon was with Washington, which is one of the finalists. This is probably the first time in several years, probably more than several, that I've actually watched the college football playoff semifinals and felt like Oregon could hang with all those teams and probably beat a couple of them. You know, and I'm, I'm not going to say if they were inserted into that field, they would for sure be playing for a championship on Monday or that they'd be the favorites by any means. But um, I think this was a year that kind of to me sort of revalidates like the fact that Oregon could win a national championship or be playing for something like that with this coaching staff and with this program and it's just that they're kind of on that direction and obviously they didn't get there they lost both times to Washington by three points that's heartbreaking the fact that Washington your biggest rival could win a national championship in a couple of days and (laughs) what that would do to the Oregon fan base in terms of those fan bases discussions back and forth like all of that hurts but I I also think if you just want to be Kind of objective with it i think oregon and washington certainly weren't that far apart and the margin on the field says that the fact that oregon was and i now who cares about this fact but the fact that oregon was favored by two scorers going into the conference championship game like and, and kind of having watched the way things played out i think oregon could have could have been very competitive on the field with any of those four teams and there have been many seasons even seasons where oregon knocked out of the the cfp in november where i didn't have that feeling having watched the way the college world playoff played out so um, i thought this was a really special team and a team that unfortunately we won't know what they could have accomplished exactly had they reached those games but i think there's a lot of people who came away watching the uncertain i got a lot of text messages from duck fans feeling this way coming out of out of monday's semifinals that Oregon could have played with maybe all those teams and would have had a chance to do something special had had a couple things gone a little differently this season
1: yeah, 100%. Um I agree. I still think Georgia is the best team in the country, but, you know, they lost. So,
0: that happens. Um uh, I do I do too, Jared, by the way, having watched all the playoffs. so. Yeah,
1: I don't I don't I don't think Oregon's beating Georgia. Um but like they like you like you said they would have they would have hung with anybody in that uh college football playoff semifinals. Um I'm going with a big picture item as my first uh takeaway, I guess this is of the 2023 season. I just think that the program's in good hands with, with Dan Lanning, you know, the all, like the Allstate, um, good hands, you know, back of the pile or back of the 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 net over there. Um, I, there's just a lot to love over what's happened in the last two seasons under Dan Lanning. Um, first of all, you know, he gets into that late start um, in January of 2022, and all he does is, you know, flip Kyler Casper from the 2024 class or the 2023 to the 2022 class a good four-star man and and get Josh carly Jr. your cornerstone left tackle for the you know for two of the next three seasons. Um and I think that should have been like the first moment where it's like oh you no know, this this guy knows what he's doing um as the first time head coach is like a 35 or 36 year old at the time. I and mean, there were some there's some definite low lights in the 2022 season but uh, the the transition that Dan made during the off in terms of getting the right player personnel and the right coaches on staff is clearly evident um mario's guys were not dan Lanning's guys they were not tosh lupois's guys they were not will stein's guy um i still think oregon if it's will stein or kenny dillingham would have been just fine on offense but i think defensively is where you really saw the upgrades i mean that's what dan Lanning was brought in to do um, I made the point when Dan Lenning was hired that there's a like a new wave in college football going around about hiring the defensive-minded head coaches. You saw it at Oklahoma, where they go from Lincoln-Riley to Brett Venables, and you see the Texas A&M, where you go from Jimbo Fisher to Mike Elko, and Dan Lenning is it going to be a part of that overall change to the defensive-minded head coaches, and you see that on the field. You saw that on the field this entire season. Like, yes, Oregon didn't finish with the best uh, rush defense in school history. I'm sorry, James, who was really James Crappy, the Oregonian, who was really rooting for that during the oh. game, uh, <laughs> that they were going to be the best pass rush defense and or excuse me, uh, run defense in Oregon history. But they were damn good. Um, you know, they were not the the Utah equivalent, but. The Utah thing always gets me frustrated because they go into every game against Oregon as the best pat- like run defense in the entire country. And then Oregon, you know, puts up 150, 180 yards on them every time they play. It's very strange. It's it's kind of poetic in that sense. But um, it was a damn good run defense. The pass defense, you know, barring injuries was really good when Kyrie Jackson and Jaleel Florence both were hundred percent healthy and available to play. So defensively they're fine. As long as Will Stein sticks around for i don't know a couple more years there's zero worry there the recruiting on top of it all is just basically like a cherry on top of your ice cream sundae like they are dominating in the recruiting world and you know that obviously has something to do with the nil money that they get from some guy up in portland or wherever he lives but so does everybody else this is not a surprise thing like you know, for as much as begrudging as fans are of other teams who just say, Oh, this is NIL money, that this kid is going there. It's like, excuse my French, but yeah, no shit. Every kid is taking really good NIL deals wherever they go across the country. So if you're not playing that game, then you're losing. And if your program is not playing that game, then guess what? You're not gonna get those big old recruits. And it's it's you know, it's the the Simpsons meme that I have where it's like, uh If a kid comes to my school as a fan it's like they love our tradition and they don't like our rival and if they go to my rival's school it's because they took nil money it's like no, that's not how it works so oregon is dominating (laughs) on all fronts there too and you have to feel good about just the trajectory of continuing the recruiting success it's been it was going up for mario it's now going at an even higher level which i didn't really think was possible under dan and company and on the field they just got to continue to win even though they lost to washington twice this year 12-2 and season is pretty damn good. I, I get that it's a rival. I don't like that this season could be seen as a disappointment or a failure because they lost to their rival. I think that's silly. A 12 win team is really good. They're going to be a top seven, top six team in the final AP poll or the final college football playoff polls. That's really good. And I'm sorry that Washington might win the national championship, but guess what? This is a top six season in Oregon history, and we're all disappointed by it. So... Like, if they had lost twice to Arizona, would that be any better? Would it really be any better to lose twice to Arizona in a year? they um, just respect Arizona. You know how I love Jed Fish. But that's my takeaway. Good hands. All state. I don't know if this is, like, a positive
2: from a big picture standpoint or just from this year, this now takeaway. It's probably both, but I was really impressed with – the development of a lot of guys on both sides of the football in 2023. And I remember when Lanning was hired and the staff was announced and it was all finalized in year one. And we talked about it and it was certainly talked about on the message boards, online, among Duck fans, everywhere was, wow, look, look how young this staff is, look how, you know, they've only got so many old guys or experienced coaches, like are they going to be able to develop these players are they going to be able to make game plans are they you know are they ready for this big of a stage with this many you know i hate the unexperienced coaches they weren't unexperienced but at this level they were and you flash forward to two seasons in now and i just think about like you know how impressed were we with Bo Nix in 2022 and the improvements that he made in one year with Oregon. And then compare that to what he was like this season, like it's absolutely insane. I mean, he threw for a 1,000 more yards than he did last season with one extra game. And he completed almost 7% or 6% more of his
0: passes. That blows um, my mind. That's the like, one that really jumps out Is that's crazy to make that improvement when he was already like leading the country in that category. Yeah. You know? And his touchdowns
2: went from 29 to 45. And it wasn't like his attempts took this massive jump. It was like 61 more attempts. Like that's over a course of a season. That's not a ton. Um, His quarterback rating went up, but it's not just Bo Nix. I mean, Jeffrey Bossa, like think about where he was when, when Oregon's new staff arrived and then where he was last season to now where he ends this year. Where it's like he, yeah, you know, he had an NFL decision to make, a legitimate NFL decision to make. Brandon dorles's ability to improve uh, in his fifth season. Jordan Birch, when he got here, and you know putting forth the consistency that he lacked at South Carolina. Um, I think you know I think of cornerback Demetrius Martin taking Christian Gonzalez year one and then losing him and then just sliding in Kyrie Jackson and turning him into an NFL player. I I think this staff from a short-term perspective did an unbelievable job of developing its current players into, across the board, uh, a lot of guys that that you can point to and say like, he has significantly gotten better with better coaching. And then I guess the, the, the second half of this is that projects really well, long-term for where Oregon is going. And there's always going to be, a, there's always going to be adjustments. There's always going to be, you know, maybe they take a small step back until they, you know, get guys, new guys into the groove. Like the transition from Knicks to Gabriel or, you know, Ted taking on Troy Franklin's number one role or whoever fills in for Kyrie Jackson, there might be some bumps in the road, the first couple games of the season. But like, I I think after two seasons, you can sit here and say like, yeah, those, those losses are going to hurt, but we're going to be fine. Like you trust the staff to, to find the pieces, to develop the pieces and, over the course of a season, the names will change, but the production will still be the same for, for, this, for this program
0: on both sides of the football right now. It's a really good one, Matt. And uh, to, just two more names to build off there. Like I think Jackson Powers Johnson as a first-year starter at center being the Remington Award winner, that's extremely mm-hmm. impressive. You don't see that happen very often. I'd be interested to look through the past Remington Award winners and see how many were first-year starters. And then I just think in short order, his replacement, Ayapani Lalalu, Pancho, as we will refer to him primarily, the fact that this is a guy who never played the position coming into the year. And by the middle of the year, he was their you know Jackson Powers Johnson's backup. And by the bowl game, he went out there and like pretty seamlessly filled in. Weren't any problems with snaps? Seemed like the protections were good. He graded out pretty well on PFF. So um mm-hmm. I think those are just two other examples of like you got another one, Jared? I
1: got one more, Steve yeah, Stevens.
0: Yeah, another great one.
1: Um, I mean, Steve was, like, kind of similar to Jeff last year, or he was mm-hmm. just kind of dogged for um, how poorly he performed at times. Right. He was a, a very good safety this year. I would, I, I'm not gonna say he's an all conference guy or anything like that, but um, that was certainly a weak spot on the defense. Just on like on paper, you're looking like, uh, oh, that could be that could be fixable. Um, but he was good all season long, and he didn't get injured, and he was. You know, playing as, as many snaps as everybody else every game. Um, especially with the loss of Brian Addison, his playing time went up even more. And I thought he did well. So credit to credit to Oregon for developing him as well.
0: And there are a bunch of other examples of guys who stepped up, like yeah. even like a Jordan James goes from being a primarily a goal line guy, Noah Willington gets hurt. Jordan steps in and becomes an incredibly dynamic player all over the field. So yeah, I think that's a great one, Matt. And I think that's another reason to feel I mean, as we're kind of running through this, it's like the development's good. There's, you know, there's uh, a baseline that's really good in terms of what they've developed here from a cultural perspective. And then to Jared's point earlier, they're recruiting so well. It's like you get, you know, that could be kind of all the takeaways is the program is just in in really good shape in all directions. But um, my next one's going to be a little bit more focused on one specific aspect of the game, which is um, just to reflect and say we just witnessed the best uh, passing season in Oregon football history. And it's not really up for debate. You know, I was running through the the numbers here. Bo Nix just had the best individual passing season in school history. I'm not going to say it's the best quarterback season because Marcus Mariota won a Heisman Trophy. He ran for significantly more yards. He won a lot of other awards that Bo didn't win. But just in terms of the totality of what happened when the ball was in the air, like both threw for more yards. Both threw for more touchdowns. He was more accurate. His um, <laughs> his yards per attempt was. Bad. I mean, just across the board, it was the best season we've ever seen from an Oregon quarterback. And then to add on to that, it was really fun watching two really, really good receivers play here. You know, I think that's one of the things that if you kind of look through the history of Oregon football, and I certainly spent a little time this week doing that, putting together, like I said, those leaderboards, like you look through it and there just haven't been that many incredible guys who've come through there. There've been some really fun players. There've been some really interesting players. There've been some players that have had some NFL success, but like Troy Franklin undoubtedly had the best season any Oregon receiver has ever had. And I, I really think if you look through the numbers, just statistically, I think Tez probably is number two or maybe number three uh, behind uh, Jeff Mayles 20 2009 season. I think it was, i have to go back and look, but either way, um, it's one of the top, those are two of the best three or four seasons the receivers have ever had, and it happened together. And I think it also speaks to just one other part, which is we, we, and I know maybe it'll change with personnel, but we've kind of got a real feel for what Will Stein's personality is as a play caller and kind of what he wants this offense to look like. And I think it's possible we look up in the next several years here and Oregon is, I don't want to say a you know quarterback receiver factory, but I think there's a lot of optimism that Oregon's going to put significant guys in the NFL from these position groups. When you look at Dante Moore, I don't know what Dylan Gabriel's NFL future really is, but the receivers they're bringing in right now. I mean, I, I agree, Jared Gabriel's just too short. Probably to think he's going to be anything. an old.
1: Yeah. an old. Age.
0: His His job. Uh, yeah. I think I saw he, he enters the year eight all time on the NCAA passing list already. Like he has a chance to break that. Like, yeah, but I mean, he's also five eleven. 11. So, but like, regardless, I think this is a, a, just a shift because, you know the, the counter to the point I made earlier, where you looked through the the leaderboards and there were not a lot of big time names. Well, if you look at the Oregon rushing leaderboards, you see all sorts of guys who went on to be great NFL players or guys who won Dilk Walker awards and and those sorts of things. Not that there's a transition away from Oregon being a running school to being a passing school, but for the first time in a long time, you can legitimately look up and say, like, yeah, they are, were more successful when they threw the ball than when they ran the ball, and they they were an incredible running team as well throughout the season. But it was just a different offense and an offense obviously that was extremely successful and you could probably make the case that this was in the top two or three best offenses organ has had before and again in a very different way in terms of how they approached moving the ball and scoring the football
1: yeah i had a uh, like exactly the same takeaway this year um like in my best jimmy johnson voice it's like how about that offense um I, you know, it's really nice to watch an offense that works uh, for the first, like for the second time in like five years now. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it there's it's that, a, it's there's that a, part
0: too, Jared, huh? Isn't there?
1: It's an incredibly <laughs> sharp contrast. Um, I don't know. You think of like the the Fiesta Bowl in 2021 uh, when other people were running the show, and it's just a completely different immersive experience where you're not, you know, changing quarterbacks every couple drives. You're not. Uh, it's, you know third and eight and you're not running a draw or a run up the middle or you're like a wham power up the middle um, you know things that actually make sense and uh, you know I really like Will Stein I really like Kenny Dillingham as well Um, I think I think I like Stein's offense a little bit more he's just he's a little more tame than Kenny Dillingham and I appreciate the wildness of Kenny Dillingham because he did not give a damn about anything mm-hmm. and would call anything and do anything to if he thought that it would make the play and I love that too but you know Stein dialed back the trick plays obviously they had the one in the fiesta bowl but um he was pretty meat and potatoes in a very creative way like he knew what was going to work and he stuck with it and when something didn't work he moved on to the next thing and you know they they ran a lot of things out of the same packages, which but had all these different routes and concepts. And I really liked watching the offense this year, and obviously the development of Bo Nix from last year to this year certainly helps in terms of what we talked about in the completion percentage, the passing touchdowns, the passing yards. Um, you know that's on Bo, that's on Will Stein and the development there. Um, and the the other thing, just on the offensive perspective, is shout out to Dan Lanny for making two home run hires as a 35, 36 year old head coach. I think yeah. whatever yeah. he is now, 37 or whatever, you know, he's a defensive guy when he makes a good defensive hire. It's like, yeah, no duh. This is what he should do. But um, Kenny Dillingham was more proven than Stein and maybe a little bit easier of a, of a pick, you know, offensive coordinator at Ford state and Auburn, like real big schools. But none of us had Will Stein on our bingo cards. He was a, one season offensive coordinator. Uh, the year before, that, I think he was co offensive coordinator, if my memory serves me correct. Um, you know, he's that same age group. He's that mid 30s um, Southern guy. And boy, was that a good hire. And I'm very excited to see what he does with Dylan Gabriel next year and Dante Moore down the road. Because the other thing is, Oregon has like a quarterback coach that really cares about the development of his quarterbacks, which hasn't been the case in a couple of the years previous. And the growth from even the growth from guys like Ty Thompson. I know Ty is now going to go visit Iowa. So sorry, sure. bud. But even his growth this year, we've talked about it. We talked, there's a reason we had conversations on this podcast of would you be comfortable with Ty Thompson taking the job in 2024? It's because we saw his development just in general. And that's a true testament to what Dillingham did the year before, and especially what Will Stein has done this season and making the offense easy to read and giving these guys opportunities to make these plays. So um, I, I really enjoyed watching this offense. I hope Will Stein sticks around. I know he won't because no one's going to do that because he's too damn talented to just sit here as an offensive coordinator for the next three or four or five seasons. Someone is going to hire him and it's going to be a sad day when he leaves. But like I said, you kind of have to feel good about whoever Dan's going to pick and choose is his next OC, you know, the next time around because he's done a good job so far.
2: You're right about Stein. Like it's,
1: it's a ticking time bomb. It's inevitable. It's the same with, it it would have been the same with Dillingham. Yes. Even if, if if Arizona state had kept Herm for whatever reason, Lord knows. But (laughs) if, if that ASU job wasn't open, maybe he'd stick around for this past season, but he's going, he's a young Thirty-something-year-old offensive coordinator who leads one of the best offenses in the country. It's the same as Dan on the flip side at Georgia. Yeah. He was going. He was going to leave.
0: I, I was going to say this is what the big programs do. This is why Saban at Alabama. Like Tommy Reese will be a head coach somewhere in two years or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, this is what happens. These, these young coordinators go there. They get their audition process, and then they take off, take off, and, and run their own program. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a legitimate high
2: probability that if in 2024. Oregon makes the college football playoff, wins a game or two. Right. It probably doesn't even need to win a game. But Dylan Gabriel is in discussion as a top five quarterback in the country, is a Heisman candidate in the month of November. Oregon's offense is a top ten offense in the country. Like, Probably –
0: Stein's probably gone after next season. He, he, he's going to be a name for any yeah. major job in Texas Big 12 country, SEC yes. country yeah. probably. I thought,
1: I thought Houston would give him a good look. Yeah. yeah. You know, Texas guy and Houston probably need somebody more, or they, they did. They eventually hired somebody mm-hmm. who's who has more experience. But a school like that, like a mid-majorish school um, mm-hmm. or a mid-power five school, like what ASU did, they just need a bolt or a jolt of electricity. Like, yeah, no, go after him. Um,
2: I, I think I'm going to talk, touch on some position coaches, some takeaways, and just maybe how their stock has just completely elevated from where they're at. I think you start with Alec Terry. Um, this was a young guy. I remember um, Huffman, we were talking about, when he got hired, who was the like the the assistant to um, Clem last season that's now at Stanford?
0: Yeah, Viani. Yeah, and yeah. his yeah. last name is I'm not very yeah, I'm good. Yeah. It's right. tough.
2: And and the conversation was like that was a really strange hire. Like like I know Terry's a young up and coming guy, but they had another one already on staff and Viani and and you know he'd done good things and had a lot of recruiting tales. Like I think Terry's hire wasn't like a negative, but it was definitely like, Whoa, that's an interesting one. Where, where did that come from? We'll see where this is going. There's potential there, but we'll see. And in his first year, it helps that he had really good players that he inherited. But I think you have to credit him for some of the development of Jackson Powers Johnson. Like you said, Eric, his one year of a starter was the best center in college football. I I think Josh Connolly took a jump from year one to year two, a Johnny Cornelius, took a jump going from a lower level of football to the highest level of football. Um, Steven Jones was really good. Marcus Harper continued to be really good. Um, The the development of Poncho his in his first season. um, I I think you look at Aleek Terry and he now has some bullets in the chamber to use on the recruiting trail. My, my, my unit was a Joe Moore award finalist. I have a Remington award winner. Uh, I've, I've got probably a draft pick on my team and two on my team and Steven Jones and Jackson powers, Johnson. I've got a couple more probably coming down the pipe in Connerly and and Cornelius. Um, and then I've got some young, some young dudes that are going to move into the, into the, the lineup here and produce. I think Demetrius Martin, uh, is a coach. Think about the run. He's about to go on here. He developed the first round draft pick in, Christian Gonzalez, he's going to develop a, a whatever number you want to throw out there on Kyrie Jackson. And then there's a chance that whether – they're super high on uh, Sione, whether he shows up in his year one or it's Jalo Florence, or maybe they go out and they add another Kyrie Jackson type addition or a Christian Gonzalez type addition from the portal, and that guy goes off and gets drafted. Like He's got to run an opportunity where in the next three or four years – or over the next like a course of three or four seasons, like he, he could have like three or four cornerbacks drafted. Um, and you point to the West Coast, at, you know, schools out West, like Washington isn't developing their corners like they were four or five years ago under Jimmy Lake. USC certainly doesn't have that talent or producing that talent. Like if you're an elite corner on the West Coast, Oregon has an opportunity to kind of capitalize on that momentum there. Um, to be like the school that you want to look at from a west coast perspective Um, Carlos Lachlan has turned Bucky into a stud we know Noah's a stud we know now Jordan James is a stud and he's going to have an opportunity where maybe he has a couple years in a row of some guys getting drafted and then you know we, we knew about Junior Adams but think about the recruiting he did at, at Utah before he came here and, and setting those guys up for success. And now he's developed Troy Franklin, what he did in two seasons. He's had one year with Tez. Let's see what happens there. But the, from, I guess, from a long-term perspective, like, look at – got to have some excitement for on Dickey. you got to have some excitement for the three four stars coming in this, this coming season. Like, I, I think Oregon's got some opportunities here where they can come out and say, like, we're either the school on the West Coast, or our our production is just as good, uh, or just you know slightly a little behind of what the top dog on the West Coast is. And you factor that in with the recruiting machine that Oregon has; like it's only going to get better uh, from from Oregon. And I think I think this probably like is a second one. But I'm just going to tap attach it in. Like I I generally feel like it's a real probability under Dan Lanning that. This team's going to get to the college football playoff. This team's going to find its way to win a national championship. And under Mario, you kind of felt like that was maybe going to happen, but you felt like, okay, Alabama's going to have to be down or Georgia's going to have to have a down year. Like, they're, they're not there yet, but the way Oregon's recruiting, is, to what Jared said, it's even better than where Mario was at. But the big one for me is, the player development combined with better recruiting is what's going to be carries Oregon into getting into that playoff, getting into that semifinal, getting into that final. And if they do win it, like it's so hard to get there, but I'm not going to predict they're going to win it. But like the confidence is, is greater than it's probably ever been since Marcus Mariota was on the
0: roster that this
2: team will get back to that, that level and have a chance to win it all.
0: Yeah. And that was, I mean, I, I that was my, one of my first ones that was like kind of the broad base point I had to Matt and I, I think I don't know Jared Matt, you probably sort of agree in terms of work. This is about as well positioned organ has had or been I should say to compete for something special since you've been doing this certainly I would think right like.
1: oh think- <clears throat> Yeah, since I've been doing I'm- this for sure. Um, I think they on it. Audit- well. I think they might have honestly been better positioned in the early twenty tens just because what the college football landscape looks like nowadays, because good lord, like when Georgia and Alabama and Texas and Oklahoma and Michigan and Ohio State, when those guys are all on their top levels, those are some damn good teams. Now Oregon, when they're on their top level, can compete, but like nobody was gonna compete with that twenty twenty one Georgia team or the twenty twenty two Georgia team. Like that's that's the only difference I have. Like I feel like there are I feel like there are higher ceiling teams in the 2020s than there were in the 20 t- early 2010s. But um, in terms of since I've been doing this, yeah, they're like head and freaking shoulders and everything else above <laughs> where Mario's teams were at. Even when Mario's teams were, um, you know, oh, they're top four in the college football playoff. It's like, oh, and then we're going to lose to Stanford in overtime. OK, <sighs> cool. That doesn't happen here.
0: Not yet, at least. No, I, yeah, exactly. And and to the earlier point to kind of tie it back together, it's in part because guess what? There's an offense that actually is exciting and can yes. like, I, move I, the ball. Yeah. Like, I came out of the uh, college football playoffs being like, wow, like Oregon may have had this best or the second best quarterback had they made it. Or not may have, they would have had the, the this or you know, you can yeah. argue it between Penix and Knicks, but I think pretty clearly Penix. Knicks is better than okay. If you <laughs> want to say it, yeah, we can say that. But regardless, <laughs> I'm gonna like, say it. Especially coming, Oof, especially coming Good off his performance, especially coming off that semifinal. Um, but Let's stick with Bo because my my last one here was that I think what Bo was able to do in two years as a transfer portal quarterback is already paying dividends with Oregon in the portal. We saw what just took place with uh, Dylan Gabriel and Dante Moore committing to Oregon. I think that's notable, especially when you look around and go like, who's going to be Ohio State's quarterback? Because whoever it's going to be isn't going to be somebody who's highly regarded as what Oregon just put together and Ohio State would absolutely trade Oregon's quarterback situation for their own in a heartbeat right now, if they could. Um, and I just think, you know, there's several things that play here in terms of Oregon in the portal. Um, I think it's been pretty well reported that they are very competitive financially in terms of what else is out there. Just, I mean, I think, and we've heard that as well. Um, and, and I think obviously you see that with the results of what they've been able to do, but I do think that, what And we talked about the quarterback development, but just with Bo in particular, I, this is one of those like kind of almost like when D'Anthony Thomas was at Oregon and there was so much excitement and you heard it in every single recruitment from kids from SoCal for, you still hear it for, you know, for a decade plus of, oh, he was my favorite player growing up. That was awesome. It's obviously not quite the same thing, but I do think Bo Nix in his two years at Oregon and being that portal guy and coming in and having the highs he had is really going to pay dividends for a, a, a moment here um in terms of what they're able to do with the quarterback position in the portal and that is an incredible gift because like my point earlier was and i know ohio state there's several reasons behind it like oregon could have the best quarterback room in the big 10 immediately and that wasn't a situation i expected they would find themselves in and of course we'll have to see how jill and gabriel fits it would be great if you know you had a guy who had already been in the program for a year entering the big 10 but in terms of How this has played out this is about as good of a situation you could expect to be in in the post bo next years and bo deserves a lot of credit for that as does will stein as did kenny dillingham for the development but I, i just think at quarterback at the most important position i think oregon's in a really good spot coming out of this season i think that should be something you're really excited about going forward because there are no sure things in this sport at that position right now and oregon has about as good of a situation as anybody
1: it's, it's a really damn good situation, and you know, your point about um, the Ohio State QB room, um, Howard of Kansas State is visiting there, and Will Howard, I think his first name is, and he's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong, but you know, that's a that's a much scarier team if it's Cam Ward who elected to go to the NFL, or that's a much scarier team if it's just Dylan Gabriel who's a good quarterback who has a lot of experience in big games and... Playing in uh, you know power five level and all that good stuff at Oklahoma, uh, but certainly I mean especially if JJ McCarthy leaves, uh, which I don't expect he will, but if he does leave, like then Oregon's quarterback room, I mean just Dylan Gabriel in general is probably the best starter in the Big Ten. Uh, Clifford at Penn State's pretty good. I like him some bit. Or no, not Clifford. God, dude, Drew Aller at Penn State. Yeah, either. I was going to say. Yeah, Clifford was the old was guy like last year or two yeah. years ago. I don't know. He's I'm the old guy. I'm surprised I didn't see uh, – I didn't say Trace McSorley. But <laughs> but uh, Aller's uh, – you know, um, it's just going to be a defensive conference, which leads me to my next point, my final takeaway. Um, but I mean, man, this defense is a lot of fun to just watch to learn from to see it all kind of culminate and come together once Oregon got all the guys that they wanted. Um, because that was the the clear differential. I mean all off season I was saying that this is like all these guys who were leaving the and during the transfer portal period last year, like this is more or less like Dan saying like I we we don't want you here anymore which may sound really mean but they need the guys that they need for their defense for their offense and now that they have the players for their defense like um, getting jeffrey Bassa up to weight uh, a guy like jordan birch um you know more development from casey rogers and taki taimani and they get popo back and they bring in mateo blake purchase uh, tatum tuyoti they bring in all these guys like tyson johnson to evan williams at safety not bennett williams like you see where the defense can be and they were really good this year but i still feel like there's a another step in the ladder another rung in the ladder that they could take um and improving their pass rush on certain instances like um like birch was really good all season long but once he was injured in the pacto championship game they didn't really have a backup there as a, as a pure like rusher like Purchase and Mateo and Tatum could try, but, you know, they're all, like, 18, 19 years old. It's really hard to say, hey, we need you to be as good as that, you know, third or fourth year junior or senior over there who just got hurt. Um, Those are spots where they've now, you know, recruited really well for the last two seasons. Guys like the ones I mentioned, and then, you know, Elijah Rushing, Jackson Jones, like, now now they are developing that depth, that talent, that depth that they need. And the players that... Really fit well into this four-two-five defense. Um, I think. I mean, the the most fun thing they did all season was these you know, uh, these delayed blitzes, these uh, simulated pressure blitzes that I've talked about on this podcast before. And they didn't do that last year. And now they have the personnel. Now they have the personnel even more. They have Jeff Bossa coming back, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, who now understands the defense even more, which is kind of inconceivable, but I, it, it's going to happen. And You look at all the guys that they're recruiting on the defensive side of the ball. They're all track guys. Every last one of them, even the big boys, are track guys. Usually not in the uh, the the sprints or anything like that, but they're all track boys. Uh, Like their entire running back room is like under 11 second 100 meter dashes. And Braden Platt's over that, but guess what? He was a running back in high school and a damn good one too. Where it was almost like hey, do you want to play running back in college or you want to play linebacker in college? Because either or someone will have a spot for you. So these guys are all big. They're all strong. They're athletic. They're long and they're fast. And that is the those should be the unanimous, synonymous terms for um, this Oregon defense moving forward. And I am very excited to see some of these guys as true freshmen come to campus. I think they're much different than what we've seen in years past in terms of just pure talent level coming in as a true freshman. Um, like Oregon has had some top guys come in, like a cave Thibodeau, guys like that who are boom, like that, that's a special guy. But I think year after year after year now, they're going to get a lot of those special guys and even some underrated special guys. Like Iffy Obadegwu, who's my guy, I talked about it on our signing day podcast. Like he showed out this week at the under Armour All-American game, whatever All-American game it was, um, named the biggest riser by 24-7 sports, had a pick six in the Under Armour All-American game yesterday. Um, guys like that who are you know good players, like four-star recruits, like top 150, but guys who are a little underrated. I think that's what Dan and his staff have done really well. Guys like Blake Purchase last year who are underrated in, in the grand scheme of things as day one contributors. But – I think the defense can only get better from here on out, as long as they continue to add at positions of need, like safety, like interior defensive line, uh, for this next season. I think they can just get better and better, even in the Big Ten. Jared's comment
2: about the track guys made me just, for whatever reason, go to the greatest football team in college football history, and that is the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. And Mm -hmm. damn right, that team had so many guys that were elite um, track speed that their track and field team was basically like their sprinters were basically all football players. Like that, that, that's how fast they were. They they did track basically to train for football and they were that good. Can Oregon get to that level from a pure speed standpoint? No, but like we're starting to see it where there's multiple guys that are going to be able to compete for Oregon's track team, now it helps that you know Oregon's more of a long-distance school historically. I know recently they've not been, but besides um, so the point. I had one more question for you guys, hmm. uh, and this is a debate kind of takeaway. Did we just witness uh, the best quarterback, running back, wide receiver combo in school history? Because it's up there. I think it's in the discussion. Bo is not better than Marcus Mariota. Bucky, from a statistical standpoint, is not better than LaMichael James. I think Troy is better than any receiver that's come through Oregon before him. But I don't know if you can argue, like, the three of them together, might some of their parts might be better than any of the other parts Um the other groups had like Marcus in 2014. No one will come close to him from a quarterback perspective. But Royce was pretty darn good. But I don't know if you know, football was different back then. You 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 gave the bell cow all the carries in the game, and Oregon didn't do that with Bucky. What would his stats have been this season if he averaged 18, 24 carries a game, like like Royce Freeman did? And I certainly think Troy is significantly better. Um, Then Byron Marshall was the thousand yard receiver that season. They also had Darren Carrington on that team. I think Troy's better than both those guys. Um, The 20, 2010 team had uh, Darren Thomas at QB. I think Bo's better than Darren Thomas. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Had LaMichael um, also had Jeff Mayo, but I think Troy is better than Jeff Mayo. I, I think, we might have a case to say we just witnessed the best kind of trio at that those three positions in school history
0: I think the answer is yes um and if you wanted to expand it to a quartet with the second receiver it's it's a pretty easy answer because Oregon's definitely never had two receivers that good in one on one team um and two that complement each other so well to the to the Marcus Bo thing one one thing I would say is and again I'm in the camp that Marcus is the best quarterback Oregon has ever had in terms of just who ran their offense better I think those guys are probably pretty even I guess because like Oregon's offense was incredible and Bo was so instrumental in every single moving piece of it maybe we're in prisoner of the moment territory here but I, I lived and watched both of those teams and like I think Marcus obviously won the Heisman, Bo didn't. Obviously, uh, Marcus won the conference championship, Bo didn't. Obviously, Marcus played for bigger things at the end than, than Bo. But I, I, I don't think we're that far off from being like, those were pretty comparable sort of seasons. And while I'll still give Marcus the, 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 the leg up, just because of what he, all the things that the team accomplished and he accomplished individually surpassed what Bo was able to do, I do think we just should acknowledge like this was an incredible offensive season from Bo. And I I do think that it's fair to at least have that conversation of like they're in, they're in the same ballpark without question. So, but yeah. And then to the rest of it, um, I guess another way of looking at it, like I, I, I'm pretty confident this trio of, of Bo Bucky and Troy will have better professional careers than probably any trio Oregon has ever had just because not to, be too harsh on Marcus's career but it hasn't gone great and I think there's a chance Bo does better. Um Michael didn't have much of an NFL career for being honest. A couple hit a moment. I think Bucky has a chance to to be something. I'm not sure if he'll ever be a 1000-yard rusher, but I think he might have more longevity and then Troy is just heads and shoulders above anybody else from a receiver perspective and I actually do think he can be mm-hmm. a, a, a pretty darn good NFL caliber receiver. So I think the answer to me is is yes and I'm not sure it's I mean, I think it's close-ish, but it's pretty resounding for me. I
1: think it's close, but I I agree with Eric. I think it's a yes. Um, I think Marcus is uh, probably head and shoulders above Knicks, and that's not me being mean to Knicks or anything like that. It's just the accolades, the differences, like – one, one. has, yeah. He won a Heisman. He won a, He won multiple <laughs> conference championships, but it, specifically in the 2014 year, he did win a conference championship. Yep, exactly. Um, this would be a different debate if Bo had done that. Um, yes, and mm-hmm. taken them to the college football playoffs, because there'd be, I, I.
0: Well, can I, can, I, can, I, can I ask a question, though? Like, if hypothetically yeah. this plays out exactly as it does for Marcus, because I think, honestly, I think if Oregon wins the conference championship game and Bo plays pretty well, <clears throat> I think he might win the Heisman.
1: Yeah, I was think. just thinking
0: that. So, like, if that had happened, I think we'd have a really fun debate to have on those two seasons being yeah. very even.
1: They're They're very similar – or at least they were like kind of similar seasons in terms of like a rematch in the conference championship game against the team they lost to in the regular season again on the road instead of at home, but, um, very similar. And I I was thinking that too, Eric, like if, if, if Oregon had won the championship game, like Bonex heading into that game was the betting favorite. And not just like plus 200, he was like plus 125, like plus 150. Like he was, um, pretty pretty far and away like the the guy who's supposed to win had they won that game um and then it would be a different conversation but you give it to Marcus all day you know Eisman winner takes some conference championship takes him to the, to the NCAA title as well in that season but um I love Royce he was a wonderful one running back at oregon um he was there the first two years yeah two years of my college career there um Bucky's just better I don't know how else to describe it. He's just a better running back and he doesn't have the gaudy stats that that uh, Royce Freeman finished his career with. But um, he's just a better overall running back. And then Troy, it's not a question. There's nobody who in Oregon history who comes remotely close, I think, to Troy Franklin and his natural God given abilities as a wide receiver. And I think he can be, I don't know where he'll go, probably a first or second round pick. But the fact that he could be a first or second round pick is, pretty remarkable in terms of uh, Oregon wide receiver history. Um, my thing is, like, if we look back in three years and look at this offense in general, there's going to be a lot of draft picks on this team, oh, yeah. especially from from the offensive line, too, because JPJ is going to get drafted. He's probably the number one center off the board, which yeah. is um, saying a lot because centers are – not overly valuable in the NFL um which you know it is what it is but he could be like a day 2 pick and I, that's yeah. a high that's pretty damn say. high for a center for those yeah. who don't know um but you guys have you have Josh Josh Connolly Jr who's going to probably go to the draft after next season who's going to be like a 20 year old junior 21 year old junior who's going to be um four or five star all the intangibles that you really want in a in a left or right tackle a Johnny Cornelius um I still think guys like Poncho in three mm-hmm. years, like I don't know yeah. where he's going to be, but he can move to guard one day and up his draft stock. Um, Steven Jones is probably going to get like a undrafted free agent deal with somebody just because he's a big athletic guard. Uh, Tez Johnson could probably be a pick guys like Jurion, who, if they develop the way people think that they will be a pick Jordan James don't have to list everybody here, but you know, down the line in three to four years, I think there's a legitimate yeah. argument that this is going to be the better offense in general. Um, I mean, I have for the 2014 team. When
2: you were talking, like I literally just, all right, let's just start listing these guys out and putting numbers next to the name to count them. Guys,
1: name and dudes. Yep,
2: like ten guys already. <laughs> yeah, like Bo, Troy, Ferg, JPJ, Josh, and Johnny, uh, Stephen Jones, Bucky, Tez, and Jordan James. Like, yeah. That's that's 10 guys that played significant roles this season. That doesn't even count like what you're talking about of, all right, let's the see if, stuff, what Jurion yeah. Dickey does or let's see what Poncho mm-hmm. does. Like, and that's a lot. That's just offense.
0: Well, I was going to say that brings me to a point that wasn't any of our takeaway, but maybe should be, which is like I, there's a chance this is like from an NFL draft perspective, the best collection of – of draft talent oregon has had especially to jared's point if you don't just focus on the 24 draft but you include 25 and 26 like you look around the roster there's gonna be like actually jared how many guys do you think from the 24 draft class are capable of being day one or day two picks because it's not one or two which is what it's been for a while i think it's like three or four
1: possible no, it's a it's a couple it, it'll always depend on how they perform uh at the combine and at pro days and things like that but there's three off the top of my head and nicks
0: franklin and jpj and then, and then Dorless is kind of in that discussion too doorless is some, in some that some mix yeah. yeah
1: if he if he does well at the combine he's a little bit older but right. it, that doesn't matter as much as like a quarterback being older um to the nfl and then shoot like if somebody really likes Kyrie jackson that was another name. Yeah. no to a six three corner with like near a seven foot wingspan who runs well like yeah he's injury prone but you know, 30 pounds, put put him on and put his hand in the dirt, and he'll be just fine.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, I genuinely, I think we could come out of this being like, was this the best individual draft haul for a really long time? There's been a couple at Oregon that have been really special, but this could be another one of those. Well,
1: even even last year, there were six guys drafted, which I think is, when I did the article, it ties the, the most out of Oregon at, at any point in their program's mm-hmm. history, six draftees in the same year. They could break that this year, uh, definitely possible. Conceivably break it a couple of years later. Um, sure. Yeah, that's the difference between like a Chip Kelly team. A Chip Kelly team was one that was built to win in college football, and it didn't necessarily build NFL talent. It had some NFL talent. Don't get me wrong, but the the Dan Landing side of the ball, especially on defense, is like hey, these are all NFL prospects. We are only going to be recruiting guys that we think will become NFL prospects because having future NFL players on your team is better than not having future, future NFL t- players on your team. Or at least that's the philosophy. Um, right. Does it work in practice? More th- more often than not, yeah. But, you know, there's, there are outliers for sure. But I, I, I do like this practice more than not getting NFL future guys. Or future I don't NFL know what guys. the
2: record is if it's not six, Jared. But I feel confident saying no matter what that number is, it's gonna get broken this season. Like it, it could be eight and it gets, it gets broken because offensively alone, Bo, Troy, JPJ, and Bucky have said they're going pro. I think Steven Jones gets picked. That's five. And then uh, if Ferguson goes pro, that's six. And then you look at Dorless, you look at Kyrie uh that's eight and we haven't even talked about
0: Evan Evan Williams probably is going
2: to be a guy and like I was talking with I think it was at at one of the media availabilities in at the Fiesta Bowl about Popo on the sidelines with somebody that was an NFL guy and he said yeah Popo actually had like uh, a possibility of getting drafted because those players are so valuable, even though there's the age issue, like because they're out in
1: the league in three or four years anyways. Hmm. Well, it was like, it's like Jordan Riley getting drafted last year. Exactly. We were all like, why the heck is Jordan Riley being picked? And I talked to James about it, who knows more about like what NFL scouts want to see than me. He's like, this dude ran like a, almost a near under five, 40-yard uh, dash at 360 pounds. Like, who doesn't want that? And it was a yeah. seventh-round pick. But guess what? Drafted. And Popo yeah. has, when he's healthy, he could be an absolute game record on either side of like run or pass. So, I Talkie. wouldn't be shocked. Taki, same thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about Casey Rogers, but yeah. um, those are those are big guys up front. And teams, frankly, always want big guys. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I those, think I don't know what the yeah. record is. If it's six, I'm looking at it right now. I think it's six I still got a couple years to go
2: but I'm just gonna say seven just to be safe I think more than seven guys get drafted on this this Oregon team and it's that that will become the new record and for all we know it could get broken again the following year because you've got Tez you've got Josh you've got a Johnny you've got bossa
0: Gabriel who? I was gonna say Jordan Birch if if he doesn't. Yep, Jordan
2: Birch, if he comes back. Like we're gonna see to to your guys' point, like this might be the best one, two, three punch of quarterback, running back, receiver. It also might be the biggest collection of NFL talent we've seen roll through Oregon in some time. That that would that might be a a homework assignment for us this offseason is to go and research like what teams over a three-year period had the most NFL players on it. And that could be something to track the next two seasons for, for okay. Oregon. That's
0: a good point. I like that.
2: All right. That's going to do it for us here on the and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We went over an hour, which is I don't think what any of us were kind of expecting, but good, good conversations, uh, good discussion points. And, uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Awesome Novels Podcast.
1: Talk to you later, folks. Peace.